Good morning, good morning. This is Let's Talk Sports with Tim McCain, and today is HBCU Tuesdays. But before I get into the HBCUs, I want to shout out Virginia and I want to shout out Texas Tech. Both of them played their hearts out, both of them played great basketball. And it wasn't the slow offensive, the slow offensive game that many people thought. Now, both of these teams, no matter what anyone can say, they're two hard fought physical defensive type ball clubs. So when people were talking about how it could have been a 50 to 60 point game, it was a possibility of that being so. Because both these teams, their main focal point is the defensive side of the ball. And that's a fact. That's not fiction. So uh, I, I understand that Doris Burke, she, she said that people um, who uh, said that this was going to be a slow offensive game, that they didn't know what they were talking about. Well, uh, there, there were a lot of games where Virginia was scoring 70 plus, but there were a lot of games in the ACC, especially when they were playing against top ranked opponents where they were scoring in the 60s. Okay, so it was very possible to have a 60s type game. And if it didn't go into overtime, it would have ended with around 67, 68 if it did not go into overtime. So I want to point that out. No shout out, no, no, no shots to Dorisburg because she's an incredible analyst. Um, I just disagree with that uh, with that mindset. But anyway, um, what I would say is the person who really stood out to me was DeAndre Hunter. Uh, Ty Jerome played great. And then Kyle Guy. I mean, those guys are, are just shooters. DeAndre, now, granted, Jerry Culver, um, he had that one move. I just wonder how well his game will translate to the NBA because he's more of a driver. He, I mean, he can kind of shoot. But he can't shoot consistently. His, sh- his shot is inconsistent. And we saw it, really. I really think that um, what really kept Texas Tech in the game was their balance attack from everyone scoring, from Matt Mooney to Jared Culver to uh, David Moretti. But I tr- and, and, of course, Brandon Francis, who actually led the Texas Tech in scoring. But for me, the Virginia's trio just outplayed everyone. Charles Barkley said it best. He said... Whoever was going, whatever star was going to play better was going to win. He was right. DeAndre Hunter, 27 points. He was hitting them threes. He was hitting them threes, man. And I'll tell you another thing. These, both these coaches, I have to shout out both these coaches. Both of the, both sides of the ball, these players, when they would get fouled, they would make their foul shots. There was incredible, incredible clutchness that these guys have instilled in these young men. So shout out to the coaches of Virginia and of Texas Tech. So that was my little uh, update for college basketball. Next, I'm going to be getting into the HBCUs, and I want to be talking about basketball. So Fayetteville State, um, their former coach by the name of Ken Spencer, uh, Fayetteville State did not renew his contract because to be honest with you, man, he had a 44 and 69 record when he was there. Okay. He never had a game where he was even at 500. Okay. Now this year it was a little interesting because he lost one of his players. His player, one of William Tibbs didn't even return to the team his senior year. He just stopped playing basketball. And then another player, um, who was a transfer from Drake, actually, this, his, he, he wasn't cleared by the NCAA. And so I believe he could have been a potential player for them, a potential key player for them. So it, it was 
sad to see uh, Ken Spencer go, and he was talking to his team saying, you know, this is just the way it goes. He said, the best thing you can do for me is to be successful. And I believe that Fayetteville State, to be honest with you, they might have found their guy in Luke D'Alasio. D'Alasio, I believe that's pronouncing his name right. But this man has been coaching for over 33 years. Okay, he's got a record of 339 wins and 156 losses with a 69% winning percentage. Okay, so they've got something special going on. I believe that he'll be able to turn it around for FSU. Now, do under the age gap, so of course you have to train someone under him to be able to uh, uplift Fayetteville State in the future after Luke D'Alasio retires. But I'll tell you what, I do like the experience that this man has and what he brings to the table. He definitely, uh, he act, so basically, he, he mostly recently, he helped guide North Carolina Central to three consecutive Mid-Eastern uh, Athletic Conference Championships and an NCAA tournament, tournament appearances as an assistant coach. So this guy, is, he's got a lot of success, okay? He's 7-3 and three in the NCAA tournament, and he's coached 13 CIAA performers and seven regional players. So this guy, he's got experience. He's got he's got the cachet, and I believe that he'll get Fayetteville State done. Because like I said, Fayetteville State, fourteen and fifteen, uh, his uh, Ken Spencer's uh, first year, fourteen and fifteen the the next year after that, and then he went ten and nineteen, and then six of twenty last year. So um, it's unfortunate because when when you have black coaches. You, you want them, you want to hire black coaches, but you also have to have a certain level of success when you get those positions. And um, maybe the recruiting didn't work well or, or something, but there's just some things that uh, when, when we have African-Americans in positions of, of authority, we have to be able to get some of those top recruits. And it's tough because at the end of the day, um, the Virginias, the Dukes, the, the Yukons, or all these all these major schools, they're the ones who people are looking at. They're the ones they're looking at. I mean, you get to see them on television. They get national exposure. They're the ones that are wearing the Nike gear. They're the ones who people love and care about. And they're potentially going to be picked higher based on the schools that they went to. So that's why HBCUs um, sometimes have a trouble with getting the top recruits. But I believe that, uh, that there could be a shift of players who could potentially join HBCUs based on more of what's of of what we see now of the black empowerment age and the fact that the matter is that these professional leagues they don't they don't really care where what school you go to at the end of the day if you can play basketball you can play basketball so while the NFL does a better job of going for players from HBCUs and and smaller schools the NBA also does have players from different and smaller schools like Damian Lillard he didn't go to uh, an HBCU but he went to Weber State which is a smaller school so the if, if you're if you're good at basketball if you're talented it doesn't matter where you go it matters how you play and so I think that's something that some of these HBC, HBCUs can definitely tell some of these young cats coming in and it's going to be interesting because I truly believe there could be a potential shift because of the black empowerment age that we are under. The next topic I want to talk about is I want to talk about Tim Bowens. And he was recently hired as the Clark Atlanta uh, football coach. But here's the thing about Clark Atlanta. They were 3-7 and seven last year. 
four and six in 2017, and five and five in uh, 2016. The thing that I wonder about with this hire from Tim Bones is he was a running back coach, and um, I guess Clark and Atlanta they're going to be more of a running based offense, which is fine in college. I mean, Alabama had been doing it for, for years, but I just wonder if we just if if black colleges need to just focus more on the quarterback. You know what I mean? Like, it's good to focus on the running back. And I love the running back position. The running back position is really what got me into, into football. I mean, Marion Barber was my favorite player growing up because of how strong and physical he was. But the game has evolved past just the running back position. No disrespect to the running back position, which I think is still valuable. We still see it with Zeke Elliott, Todd Gurley, and all these great running backs. Um, but I truly believe that these HBCUs, need to do a better job of getting quarterbacks and, and trying to uplift them and get them in positions of, of power and make these passing offenses. So I I get that he had an incredible, uh, he was an incredible player at uh, Alabama that he, uh, he had a school record last year where he had 2,500 rushing yards and 21 touchdowns on the ground for his squad. I mean, that's what, that's what his coaching did for them. But I truly believe that it should be, you should hire people um, or, or African-Americans should go after positions where you're training the quarterback, where you're evolving the quarterback because the game of football is not what it was. It is a passing league. So why not identify and even go beyond what the status quo is and even get these guys? Because let me tell you something, some, 70% of African-Americans, okay, in the NFL, why not have some of those African-Americans play quarterback? And we're seeing it now, of course, more than ever. But for HBCUs, if we could develop quarterbacks to an extent, like we're seeing some of the black quarterbacks in the NFL, I believe it would do justice. So, but this is Let's Talk Sports with Tim McCain. This is HBCU Tuesdays. Y'all have a good one.